Well, good evening. Uh, my name is John Combs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reform. Uh, it is good to uh, be with you all today. Tonight we're going to be looking into Psalm 6. Psalm 6. The words are printed in page 5 of your bulletin, so I'd invite you to turn there now, or you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like as well. As is our custom in the evening, as well as the morning, uh, after I read the scriptures, uh, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you can respond with, thanks be to God. So let's hear God's word to us now from Psalm 6. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. And Father, we come to your word. And Lord, oh, how we need to hear it. Father, how we need your word to work in us by your spirit. Lord, that we might have hope. Father, that we might have victory over sin. Lord, that we might have a good word to share with those we come into contact with. Lord Jesus, be that good word now in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, let us meditate deeply on your scriptures now. Father, speak to us, speak to our brokenness, speak to our sinfulness, speak to us when we feel like we have no hope. Lord, it's then that we can turn to you. And Lord, so we do that now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to ask you, first of all, we have a young crowd. It's kind of hard to know uh, a young crowd, a mixed crowd. Do you guys know who Sam Cooke is? <clears throat> all right, Sam Cooke. Raise your hands if you know the musician. Let me give you the context. The musician, Sam Cooke. Uh, is, that, is that a half hand? That's not. No, no, no. Okay, so we've got one over here, two. Ken. Yeah. Donna? Yes, you know. No, you don't. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Maybe some communication problems over there. I'm not sure about that. Uh, Ken does. All right, how about here? Let's see. How many know who... Sam Cook was. All right, Sam Cook. All right, so a handful. How about over here? Let's see. The young crowd. All right, the average age over here is like 27. Sam Cook. All right, just a couple. All right, what are some of your favorite Sam Cook songs? Uh, that's Otis Redding. <laughs> yeah, that's an Otis Redding, right? Am I right? Sitting on the dock of the bay with the whistling, that's an Otis Redding song, okay. Uh, he's easy to confuse with a few different folks, right? Now, I'll give you a few song titles in a minute, but you guys can pull a few out. Ken, you got one? Yeah, no, I'm 
No. All right, I'm testing y'all. I'm going to look at my wife last. I don't want to get in trouble here. And whose hand was up over here? Who knows? Sam, you guys, some of you. All right, back there. Elder Andy, was your hand up? No, you don't know who Sam Cook is? Ouch. Michael. Long time coming. There's a good one. It's been a long time coming. Okay. Others? Other favorites? Oh, come on. Sam Cook was one of my dad's favorites, okay? Uh, uh, Sam Cook was absolutely one of his favorites. Um, so you guys are going to know some of these songs, right? Don't know much about history. You guys know that song. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrows flow straight to your lover's heart. Okay, so he sang a lot of good songs. A lot of actually Christian songs, gospel almost songs, right? And I never really knew that. I didn't grow up a Christian. I mean, a lot of those songs, you don't necessarily pick up on that. But then I was introduced uh, to a whole different realm of songs of his that are uh, very interesting. Well, um, let's see if you know this one. Uh, This song is called Sad Mood. Does anyone know that song? I'm in a sad mood tonight. Oh, I'm in a sad mood, right? I'm in a sad mood tonight. Anyone know why he's in a sad mood? He got kicked to the curb, right? Oh, my baby has gone away and left me. Oh, my baby has gone, right? So he's in a sad mood. He he doesn't know where she's gone, doesn't know why she left. He just knows that's the way he's going to be. Until she comes back. And if she'll come back, no matter what she did, he'll promise never to do it again, even though he doesn't know what it is. Uh, But once he finds out, he'll never do it again, so that she'll never leave. So he's in a sad mood, right? He's down in the dumps, right? He's he's lamenting his situation, uh, his his girl. It's probably not meant to be a wife. I mean, it's like 60s rock, you know, so... Uh, there were a bunch of songs, you know, about the loved one and, you know, and, and how they felt about their girlfriends and stuff. And, uh, uh, but they were, uh, in, in some ways, platonic and much, uh, much less sexual than the music we hear today. Um, so, uh, it, it was lamenting, though, the fact that he got kicked to the curb. Well, this, this psalm here tonight is a lament. Uh, and a bit on that genre of lament uh, before we start. So this, the sixth, sixth psalm of our Lord, it's a lament. Uh, it's, a, it's a song that expresses deep sorrow. Right? But laments make up almost half of the psalms in the Bible. Like almost half of 150. So anyone who goes and puts the psalms into like categories, they're going to come up with somewhere around 70, give or take. Almost half of the psalms express deep sorrow. They're the single largest category of psalms. Now, there are both community laments, like a, as, a, as a group of people lamenting together, and there are both individual, uh, and there are also individual laments. Psalm 6 is an individual lament. Uh, Psalm 6 is often included in the penitential psalms. We're referred to as the penitential psalms. Right, so think of the word penitent. What does it mean to be penitent? Well, it means to be broken, right? Broken over your sin. You can think of the word penance. Uh, And these are a special type of lament. So you have these psalms, right, of lament that are almost half of them, 70 or so, and uh, about a a tenth of those, seven of them are actually uh, penitential psalms as they're frequently referred to. Psalm 6 is one, and David wrote it. Uh, Psalm 32 is also one. Uh, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, and Psalm 143. David wrote those five of the seven Uh, There are two more, uh, 102 and 130, both of which are anonymous. And in our series here on the Psalms, which we started in the fall, 
uh, around October, and then we stopped in January, then we went finished the Gospel of John, then we came back in May, and we're still in them. Uh, we, we've only preached uh, two of those, again, 32 and 130. Um, tonight, in the liturgy, I put elements from all seven of these, right? all seven of these penitential psalms. Uh, the first one, 102, it was kind of like the quote up front, right? And I didn't know John was sneaking in Psalm 77 in there. Uh, psalm 77 is a lament, but it's not a penitential psalm, okay? So you kind of have a collection uh, of them all right here, even in your bulletin this evening, uh, snippets of the seven psalms, uh, the seven penitential psalms. Uh, of these seven, only Psalm 51 gives us the background, okay? Psalm 51, probably the most well-known of these, Okay. Uh, David uh, is uh, lamenting. Nathan, the prophet, had just come into him and said, you're the man, right? And so, and he's, he's now owning that, right? So uh, we know the background and circumstance for Psalm 51. We don't know it for any of the rest of these, so they leave us guessing. Right? And sometimes that can be frustrating, uh, but at other times, uh, I, I think it's actually quite helpful. Um, I think overall it's actually quite good. We don't know the exact circumstances. We don't know the exact background. Uh, even, even what they're feeling, is it can be a bit nebulous at times and why they're feeling it. Um, but, man, when you connect with it, then, uh, they, they seem more broadly applicable, right? Like, if you knew that it was specifically for this and that's not your situation, then you might say, oh, well, that song doesn't really speak to what I'm feeling right now. Right? But because six of the seven are pretty broad and they don't give all that biographical and historical information, Right? Uh, I think they're even more helpful. So uh, we want to take them uh, all as a group. Tonight we'll focus uh, just on one. Uh, the ESV Study Bible on this sixth psalm says it is especially suited to one whose hard circumstances have led him to see his sins and to repent of them. So how does Psalm 6 uh, begin then? Well, it begins with a strong plea for mercy in verses 1 through 7. Again, the ESV Study Bible says that these verses arise from some life-threatening situation. That's what's going on here. That's the storyline to this psalm or this song of David. Uh, uh, they, they suggest that a sickness would fit that description. The Reformation Study Bible says it is a sickness. So you'll get people saying, some people, it definitely is a sickness. Some people, it could be a sickness. Everyone says it's some life-threatening situation. It's very serious, right? Uh, but others will say it, it, it could be a number of other desperate crises that prompted this psalm. Uh, the song interprets... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, the song interprets the situations, again, continuing the ESV Study Bible, as coming from God's displeasure of some particular sins. Right? God is displeased with David over particular sins. Sins. This does not mean, again quoting here, that all desperate situations are evidence of God's displeasure, only that some may be. Right. Say that again because it's helpful. This does not mean that all desperate situations are evidence of God's displeasure. So if you find yourself in a desperate situation, that doesn't mean necessarily that God is displeased with you at that time. But some certainly may be. The psalm provides a vehicle for singing to God properly in such cases. Many along similar lines think that this psalm has the same setting as the third psalm. The third psalm is where David is fleeing from his son, Absalom. Okay. 
Uh, and I won't go into all that, but some think that this has the same setting. Nevertheless, irregardless of the setting, obviously, uh, it's, it's very obvious to see that the first half of the psalm is filled with prayers by one who is deeply troubled and alarmed. This is David's emotional state, and it just jumps off the page at us. Let's look at King David's emotional state here. In verse 2, he is languishing. He's weak. He's losing his strength. In verse 2, also, his bones are troubled. The very structure that supports his frame, as if he would collapse at any given moment. In verse 3, his soul is troubled also. He's disturbed down to the depths of his core. Not one fiber of his body is untouched by this anguish that he is experiencing in his heart. David's soul disturbance appears quite prolonged as well. We read in verse 6 that he is weary with moaning. This was not an isolated event. This was going on for a consistent period of time. We, we, we gather that he's crying oceans and oceans of tears night after night with no relief in sight. That's how David is feeling. Grief has overtaken him. It would appear both because of his own sin as well as the effects of his enemies that we see in verse 7. So he is hemmed in on every side, so to speak. He's his own worst enemy, but he's got plenty of enemies, real ones, out there too. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt the brokenness of the world around you to this degree? Have you ever felt the brokenness of people around you to this degree? Have you ever felt the brokenness of yourself to this degree? Even in your own heart to the point where you didn't know if you could go on. This seems to be where David is. One commentator uh, said that depression and exhaustion as complete as this are beyond self-help and good advice. Even prayer has died away. The foes from verse 7 who would normally have roused David only crush his spirit now. I mean, think of this. This is King David, the warrior king. He would fight lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, and now there's some people after him. And he's he can't deal with it. Something has seriously gone wrong in David's soul. If anything is to save him, it will owe nothing to his own efforts. So what does David do in this situation? I mean, what, what, what can he possibly do in this situation? Well, David asks for God to be gracious to him. We see that in verse 2. He knows full well that he deserves God's rebuke and discipline from verse 1. Yet he asks for healing nonetheless. As one commentator said, David's conscience is uneasy. And he must appeal to grace to temper the discipline that he deserves. Whether in sheer mercy or in 
covenanted love. David asked for God to deliver his life in verse 4. To save him for the sake of God's steadfast love, his covenant love, his hesed love, again in verse 4. Because he knows if God doesn't, he's as good as dead. If God doesn't act, there's nothing that David can do in this situation that he has found himself. His thoughts are very similar to Jeremiah's. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24, where he'll pray, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. David is realizing the weight of his own sin, the problems it has created in his own life, uh, and that God's displeasure is on him. And he knows that unless God intervenes, there is no hope for him. Unless God forgives David's sins will separate him from God forever. And he can feel it. And so David asked the question we see in so many psalms. He asked the question, O Lord, how long? In verse 3. O Lord, how long? We see that in Psalm 13. I might preach on that in a couple weeks, uh, the next chance I get here. We see it in Psalm 74. Uh, We see it uh, in a host of other Psalms, oh Lord, how long? Like God, there's there's nothing I can do. God, when will you act? Waiting is implied in the question. But it's not waiting in vain. God's delays in answering, although there is a delay, are either to mature the time, right? As in, God's not going to answer yet. It's not the right time. Or to mature the man. Or it could be both. So David cries out. And what happens next? Well, we see in verses 8 uh, eight through 10 that the Lord hears the sound of his weeping. The Lord hears the sound of David's weeping. As the ESV Study Bible in Athley says, those who are truly sorry for their sins can be assured that God hears their cries for mercy. And will not give them over to the schemes of their enemies. The Lord, having heard David's plea, basically the prayer from verses 1 through 7, having accepted that prayer, has breathed new life into King David's lifeless soul. Derek Kidner will comment. This sudden access of confidence found in almost every suppliant psalm is most telling evidence of an answering touch from God. Almost as if we saw the singer's face light up in recognition. This psalm is as dark as can be until you hit verse 8. And then it's like the lights come on. The lights just come on and we see David's face light up the light of day when there was no hope for him. Kidner would say that David here speaks in faith. He speaks in faith, yet the victory has not come. The victory is promised in verse 10, but it hasn't come yet. So David speaks in faith. The victory is yet to come, but he already knows that he is answered. If there were people in verse 8 seeking to hasten his death, we can see by verse 10 that the tables have turned. 
You see, David was troubled, deeply troubled in his bones, in his soul, in every fiber of his being. But by verse 10, he now knows that his enemies will be not just troubled, but greatly troubled because God has heard and will indeed act. So the Lord has heard David. The text makes this very clear. What about you? How can you know that your cry of distress is answered? Especially when the victory has yet to come. How can you know? Well, let's key in on just one single verse here. And I'm going to see where it leads us. I'm going to look again at verse 3. And David there says, My soul also is greatly troubled. David says in verse 3, My soul is greatly troubled. Multiple times in the New Testament, we see Jesus' soul greatly troubled. We see him greatly troubled in the Gospel of John in chapter 11 when Lazarus dies. We see him greatly troubled in the Gospel of John in chapter 13 as he tells his disciples that one of them will betray him. There are examples all over the Gospels, really. Sandwiched between chapter 11 and verse, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 13, starting in John chapter 12, verse 27, he actually quotes this very verse, and this is what he says. It's in your additional scriptures. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Here in this text, we see our Lord Jesus Christ troubled by his coming death, knowing from verse 31 that the judgment of the world was coming with his very death. You see, David cried out for mercy for his sins, and he knew that God had answered him. How can you know that God will answer your plea for mercy? Because God has answered your plea for mercy. God has answered your plea for mercy when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross for your sins. 
This was the judgment of the world from verse 31. From verse 27, this was the purpose for which Christ came. So when you're overwhelmed by your sins, there's a place you can turn. You can turn to the penitential Psalms. You can turn to Psalm 6. You can turn to Psalm 32. You can turn to Psalm 38. You can turn to Psalm 51. You can turn to Psalm 102. You can turn to Psalm 130. You can turn to Psalm 143. You can turn there knowing that King David felt this way too. And that God answered him. But even better, you can turn there and know that King Jesus felt this way as well. Overwhelmed by sins. Not his sins, of course. But my sins. And your sins. The weight of the sins of the whole world of which yours were a part were on him as he says this in John chapter 12, verse 27. And God heard his prayer. God wiped those sins away. He removed them as Joseph preached about last week from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. You, son and daughter of God, have been delivered from your sins. The Lord has delivered you. You need not despair. You can run to these psalms. You can see King David and ultimately you can see King Jesus. You can know that God has answered your prayers and pleas for mercy in Christ's finished work on the cross. Let's pray.